morning. I only preach like once a year, so when I get up, I'm like have these ingrained things that I just do instinctively. So I, when I say good morning, I expect, I don't know if that's what your pastor, I don't know if Matt, that's what Matt does or not, but it's good morning. Say good morning. Awesome. Um, the, the, the passage that we're going to focus on this morning is from Colossians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verse 6 and 7, but since you all are in Exodus, which is about as far away from Colossians as you can get in the Bible, I, I will be pulling from other places in Colossians, so just if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, I'm going to read that, and again, if you could humor me with some of the things that I'm just used to, I'm, I'm used to personally for us to stand as a congregation as we read God's Word. If you wouldn't mind doing that with me, that would be, that would be great. So Colossians tap, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Well, I, I pray this morning that you would shine your light into our hearts, that you would allow your word to seep into the deep recesses of our soul, into the marrow that we might be changed by you and for you. Help us to have wisdom as we approach your word and honor, and help us to be changed by it. Thank you so much for the good news of your son, that you sent him to live the life that we should have lived, die the death we deserve to die and rise for hope for change and hope for a life that we might gain you in your fullness to come. Father, we love you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Eugene Peterson, who's a pastor who passed away just recently, um, he wrote a book in, in the early 80s. It was called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And what Peterson, back years before this was the predominant culture in America, started to see a culture of hurry and a desire for sped-up process of life, um, quick fixes. And, and, and this is where we live today. We, we live in a day where we expect if I text someone, I should get a text about 30 seconds later. We expect, um, we expect that everything that I can do can go into an instant pot or a microwave. Um, I expect that if, I, if a new show is coming out, I ought be able to watch all of the season that comes out when it comes out. We ought not wait a week between episodes anymore. It's binge watching, it's microwave, quick fixes. And, and I'm afraid that the Bible has a very different concept of change and a different concept of the Christian life. It, it really genuinely is a long walk in the same direction which seems to us as modern Americans very boring. But at the heart of change is us doing the same thing, moving in the same direction, slowly and plodding towards our Lord. I want you to see that from our passage this morning, okay? So, so Colossians 2, 6 and 7, the first thing I want you to see is there is a direction to our walk. So the direction of our walk, I want you to think of the Christian life as a walk, and, and walks have some things 
associated with it. There is a place you start, there's a place you end, and there are ways in which you get from point A to point B, which is just simple walking. If you've ever walked somewhere, there's a place from which you walked, a place you are going to walk, and a way in which you get there, right? So in Colossians, I think in this passage we have all three of those aspects. I wanted to key into that first. So first, God is the source of our walk. He is where we are coming from. So our walk began when we received him. And Jesus is not only the place we're coming from, but he's the reason we were saved in the first place. So, and not only is he the place we came in our salvation, he is the place we came originally. So you look at Colossians, go back with me, maybe turning a page or just glancing over. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 talks a lot about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's the source of all, not just eternal life, but just life. We come from him, whether you're here this morning as a believer, blood-bought believer in Christ, or whether you are just seeing what things are all about here at Crossroads, Jesus is the source of your being. He's the one who gave birth to you in your life. There is nothing in creation. As you drive home, you're going to drive home through some beautiful country. I drove here. Some of my favorite places to drive in the fall is through kind of the Katy's Gracie Corridor where I can smell the tobacco smoking. I can see the, see the, the newly cut corn fields. It's beautiful country. There's nothing in that drive home that you will see that was not, has, does not have its origin in Christ as creator. He's the source of all life. He's also the source of our of our redemption, of our salvation. He is what, what Colossians 1 says, he is the firstborn from the dead. Look at verse 18. He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Not only did he, is he the source of your life and everything else around you's life, he's also, if you're a believer in Christ, he is the source of your salvation. And, and also the source of reconciliation. He says that all things, in, in, later on in one, um, one eighteen says, sorry, 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And later on, says that we were sinners, but we were also reconciled by Christ and by his blood. So he is, he's the source of our walk. He's where we came from. He's also the governor or the Lord of the walk. So not only does, do we come from Jesus, also Jesus is the one who kind of tells us what we ought to do while we're walking. He's the one who, who, who laid the walk out. At I-24, near where I'm, I live, in that Oak Grove, to Clarksville area, they are repaving the road, which means they're tearing everything down and they're re-putting a road and what those people are doing is they're moving, they're putting a road down, and on each side there are ditches. Jesus is the one who paved the road, put the ditches where they are, and therefore he governs the way in which we're to navigate that long walk. And so we look to him as the, 
author of our faith, the one we come from, but also the perfecter of our faith, the one who paved the road. He's the one who, who made us walk the way we are to walk. This lordship of Christ isn't a debatable matter. In the same way that if you're here and, um, and you're not a believer and you're just hanging out, um, not only did your life come from him, but also regardless of whether you believe in Jesus or not, he is the Lord of all things. Remember the, the passage we just read from 115? It says that he's Lord. He created everything, therefore he owns everything, therefore he is the ruler of all things. He is preeminent over everything. And so, so brother or sister, if, if, you, if you are here and you're not a believer, just consider the fact that Christ is returning and he is Lord. And where will that find you if he returns and you are not submitting to the Lord? of all creation, the Lord of your life. Just as you listen to what Jesus has done, I want you to consider those things, but also see that it's more than just that he gives us rules. It's that he obeyed all that he should obey. He lived that life we should have lived. When we want to know how we are to change, we ought to be looking to Jesus and seeing what he did and imitate him in that, in that doing. So, so he's the source of the walk. He's the Lord in the walk. He's also the goal of our walk. He is where we're headed as well. Um, he's the reward at the end. In, in the Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite book series, um, The Last Battle, there is this, uh, after everything's happened, um, the world has ended, and some of, some of the characters are in kind of in Narnia's heaven, or equivalent, there's a character, um, his name is Jewel the Unicorn. And Jewel the Unicorn, um, he gets to heaven, and everyone's just hanging around thinking about how, how great heaven is. They're talking about, just look, at, look how beautiful it is, look how great it is, isn't this great? And Jewel continually is pushing at the whole company. They're saying, hey, look, just stop talking about how beautiful heaven is. Let's go further up, further in. We're, we go closer to where we're headed. This is not about the heaven or the perfection that we're finding. It's about the Lord of the perfection. The goal of us as Christians is not to gain some sort of like nice uh, heaven where we can play golf whenever we want to and, and, and we can eat great food and all the, it's not about that. It's about, it's about Jesus. It's about him. So we walk this long walk. It's from Jesus. It's governed by Jesus and it's in to Jesus. We're trying to get there. Um, yeah, so, so one, the direction of the walk. Two, we need to look at the way in which we should walk. Now, Paul, he goes, in this little sec this section here, he says that we are to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. There's three metaphors. Um, I, I want to tell you a story that maybe gives you a little bit of a idea of how this is helpful. So my youngest son, his name's Alistair, he's six now. This story takes place when he was probably more like two or three. He could walk, but you toddlers are not the most sure walkers. Um, and uh, but my wife loves for us to do just around the house um, projects, like woodworking projects, and we love gardening. And so my, I'm not sure what we went to Lowe's to get at this particular day. But, um, but Alistair, you know, being little two-year-old boy, wanted to go with Papa to Lowe's to 
procure whatever it was that we were getting for this particular project. But what was very important for Alistair was not that he goes with Papa, but he also wanted to go with Papa, and he wanted to wear his, um, his Spider-Man uh, slippers, okay? So he had these slippers that had all these Spider-Man logos, probably a spider on it or something. I don't remember exactly where they looked, but I just remember they were slippers. And um, just say Lowe's and slippers don't work super well together. And the reason is because if you ever walked in Lowe's, what is Lowe's flooring? It's just slick concrete. That's all it is. And so, look, I've, I've got this two-year-old, and I'm trying to get stuff, probably some wood and some, like, screws or maybe some, like, potting soil or something. And um, I've got this two-year-old who I'm basically just holding off the ground because all that his feet are doing is just sliding all over the concrete, unable to walk at all. And Paul recognized that he's, if he's going to paint the Christian life like a walk, that there's a way in which walking is helpful and a way in which it's not helpful, right? And listen to the language that he's using here. Rooted, built up, established. This is language of, of having this foundation and this center of gravity that's towards the bottom that we can build up from, right? So, so the question that we should raise here is look at the first section. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Okay, so how do we do this? How are we built up? How are we rooted? How are we established? I think the key to this is at the beginning. How did, the question is, how did we receive Christ? How do we do that? Well, first, we received him through the gospel message. So many of us, I think, we think the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, is the way we get into the Christian life. It's, you know, so I'm going to tell you this is what Jesus has done for you, and then you're going to accept that, accept Jesus as your Lord, and then after that, we're going to move on, like bigger, deeper, more important things. Like that's the base, but like there's way more about the Christian life than just that. That is a falsehood. The gospel is the message that, that we center our lives on. It's, it's not just the way we get in. It's the way that we do anything. And so we ought to recognize that. In, in, it, when we get into the gospel, we don't bring stuff with us. If, if we think that we can get Jesus because basically we've earned it, right? So we think, okay, Jesus wants me because I'm really great. Look at me. Then we're not going to get Jesus that way. We, we, just, we just won't. The second that we bring something to Jesus in thinking that he will in turn love us because of what we bring, we have lost Jesus there. Jesus isn't bought. His love is not conditioned in that way. We, we receive him through this gospel message. And really in the Colossian church, just if you read through Colossians um, front to back, this was part of the Colossian problem. It was that they thought it was Jesus plus maybe some rituals. Jesus plus um, doing this or not doing that. It, they, had, they had taken some things that were good things or not done things that weren't good things, and they said the Christian life is really about this and this. And the fact is the Christian life is about Jesus. Christian life is about the gospel. It's about us centering our lives there and, and working out the implications of that from beginning to end. I, I love the old, um, the old hymn, um, 
nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling, right? Yeah. So, so we receive him through the gospel message. Second, we receive him by repentance and faith. Uh, again, these aspects that we think about entering into Christianity, in, entering into a relation with Jesus, we think that they are the means by which we get in, which is true. But it's also the means by which we change. So if you want to know how we change, this is how we change. We change by centering our lives on the gospel, repenting, and trusting. It sounds very normal and obvious, but it is. That's how we got in, and, and that's how we change. Think about the, the internal mechanism of this. When we were saved, we realized, we looked at the cross, and we thought, what has happened to Jesus there? And then we look back at ourselves and we realize that Jesus died because I did things that I ought not do and didn't do things I ought to do. He died because I sinned. We make this realization, don't we? And then we look back at Jesus and we say, thank the Lord that Jesus loved me in such a way. And then I look back and say, I'm going to trust Jesus and what he did there for my entire life, right? Now, here's the question. Do we lay our sin entirely aside at that moment in our life? The answer is no. Our life is a continual look at the cross, look at myself, look back at the cross rhythm. It's a rhythm where we see something that's, that we have done that we ought not do. We look back at Christ, we trust him for what he did for us, and we reestablish this trust that I, I'm going to turn from what I'm doing now that I realize now is wrong. I'm going to trust again the Lord who bought me and who died for me. And this is, this, is the rhythm of tra- this is the rhythm of change. So here's a question for you. How do you try and change? When you realize there's something wrong, in your life, whether it's moral or if it's just practical, like maybe you realize maybe you put on a little bit of weight and you need to get that weight off, or how do, we, how do we go about, well, the fact is that we try and change a lot in different ways. We might read a self-help book. We might do a new fab diet. We might, um, we, some of us here may think, well, I don't need to change. I'm good. I'm good the way I am. But the normal way, normal rhythm of Christian change is we, is we have a normal gospel diet. We intake, we read God's word, we listen to God's word preached, we pray, we sing, we get together as believers and encourage one another. The, the, the long walk, it is long, and it is in the same direction, and it's plodding sometimes. It's not, I realized that I did wrong, so I'm going to read 20 chapters of the Bible to make up for it. It's, I'm going to get up every morning, and I'm just going to meet my maker. I'm going to read a little bit of his word. I'm going to ask him for help for the day. I'm going to sing a hymn that reminds me of his love for me. That's how we change, by and large, as Christians. So what does this mean for our lives? Well, it means that each of these aspects... They're not only the way that we enter in, but they're also the way that we continue in the walk, right? So, three. 
the company for our walk. This is, this is a long walk in the same direction, but it's not a lonely walk in the same direction. Thank the Lord. So a couple of the things. We could, we could spend the majority of our time right here, I think. Um, but I, I want um, the majority of people sitting in front of me are, are adults. So let me, think, let me just say this to you. We all have responsibility of passing on our faith to others. All of us. Um, Paul emphasized, I want you to look at just the verses just prior to 2.6. Listen to what he wants for a couple of churches to do and think about how much more this should be for our churches, the same churches. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. So you have Colossae, the church he's put, preaching to now, Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Why? To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Get, get that. He wants, he wants believers to knit their hearts together so they can walk together. He wants them to do that not only so they can walk together and have company, he also wants them to do it because that's the way that we learn about Jesus. Together. He says their hearts are to be knitted. Why? So that they might understand so they might come to know or reach the fullest measure of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge, the mystery of God, which is in Christ. We do this together. So if maybe you're a parent or a grandparent, your responsibility is to instill the love of Christ in your children. You can't make them love Jesus, but you can show them how lovely Jesus is, how wonderful the gospel message is, how necessary it is for not only salvation, but just flourishing as a person. This is, it really is, especially like think grandparents too, how beautiful is it for a, a young one to see someone who is seven decades, eight decades older than them maybe, walking this long journey with joy and loving Christ more than he or she did when they were in their 20s. It's not, all about, it's not all about younger people connecting with younger people. It's about seeing the ramifications and the effects of this long journey on those who've done it much longer than me and much longer than, than our children. Parents, you're commanded by the Lord to do this. In Deuteronomy 6, you're supposed to... You're supposed to um, teach them. You're supposed to do it when you sit down, when you walk, when you rise. Your entire life should be sitting around teaching the gospel, teaching Jesus' goodness to your children, instilling that in them. And listen, not all of your children may come to know the Lord when you want them to. But I, I want to encourage you by a story, um, very interesting. There, there's a, there's a, a man by the name of Elias Keach, now, you may not know that name as much, but his father was a very, very prominent, famous Baptist pastor. Um, his name was Benjamin Keach. If you look at church history, Benjamin Keach was a, was a famous pastor, well-renowned. 
Elias Keach was his son, but into adulthood, Elias was not a believer. Um, if you want kind of a understanding of who Benjamin Keach was, Benjamin Keach, uh, he was the famous pastor of the Horse Lie Down Church. Now, that's a weird name for a church, right? But that church, as the years go by, would, would become the famous um, Park Street, New Park Street Church, and then the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which would be pastored by a much famous, more famous pastor, um, Charles Spurgeon. So Keach was kind of like the spiritual grandfather, the pastoral grandfather of Charles Spurgeon. His son, Elias Keach, was unconverted, um, but he wanted to come to the new world. And so when, when he did, he said that he was a preacher. Um, I mean, his last name, right? Uh, so people were like, well, okay, he's, he's been Keach's kid. And so we'll just, yeah, that's great. So what happens is because of that, um, he had to actually preach. He had to preach, like, even though he was unconverted, he had to preach to these people who were on the boat and when they got to the New World. And, and Elias Keach, honestly, because of the parenting of Benjamin and his wife, as he's preaching as an unconverted person and really just pulling from all the things that his parents had taught him as he preached, was converted by his own preaching, became a believer because of the content that was passed down from parent to child, even though rejected in early age, was recalled as an adult and encouraged. Sunday school teachers, if you, if you teach Sunday school, this is your job to show the, the greatness of our God and, and the love that Christ has shown us. Um, worship leaders, we do this through singing. Um, some of the most rich doctrine um, historically has been passed down not as much as through preaching and through singing. We, we sing hymns that are thousand years old, many of them are thousands of years old. Um, and, and these hymns not only talk about doctrine, they talk about how we apply those things to our everyday mu mundane parts of our lives, the most difficult things. I think of, I think of hymns that teach me how to trust in the Lord in hard times. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight. Tears lose their bitterness. Where is thy sting death? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still. Abide with me. Or maybe when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast caused me to say, it's well, it is well with my soul. These, these hymns, they teach us. They teach us how to walk and continue to walk. So we have responsibilities of teaching through song, through our parental or grandparental responsibilities, but we also, we're just hopelessly dependent on one another. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not need other people. We were made to need people I'm a counselor by trade. That's what I do. I counsel people. A biblical counselor. And every issue that I help someone with, every single thing, every time, there is always a community component. There's no way to help someone if they cannot be with people who can help them. Not just one person who speaks truth in their life, but a congregation of people who speak truth in their life. People who they can walk next to 
So, listen, how are you struggling right now? Are you depressed, anxious, lonely? Struggling with some sort of besetting sin that you can't quite shake off? There's always a need for you to be in God's community. And not just here on Sunday mornings, but with his people a lot. You need people. You need people to hold you accountable. You need people to speak truth into your life. You need people to encourage you and say, look, man, it's not over. Keep rolling. Keep one foot in front of the other. Think of maybe um, um, Dory in Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. <laughs> we need people like that who will come alongside and say, look, we're going the right direction. Just keep going. Don't swerve, right. Don't swerve left. Just keep going. Okay? So we, we, need, we need people. So fourth, we need to look at our hearts in the walk. So we've looked at the community, the community, or the company of the walk. We need to also look at our hearts as we walk. L- listen to what Paul says. He says that we are to be rooted and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now listen, on this road there are ditches, as all roads have. And, and we ought not get in them. Okay, so let me tell you a story. My, my dad's a pastor, has been a pastor for 40 plus years. One of the favorite, my favorite stories of, especially of, of him and my mother courting, um, is early on in their courtship, my dad was a security guard at Murray State University. So he, uh, from time to time, you know, he had keys to get into places that other people couldn't get into at hours that they couldn't get into. And so he would, you know, he would regularly, like if, if things were low, they would, he would go and maybe lift weights or get, go to the, you know, the, court, the basketball court and shoot. He had some access. And so one thing he wanted to do um, with his new girlfriend and wanted to impress her was he took her to the weight room and wanted to show her how much he could bench press. And so he goes to the he puts the bar up, and he starts loading the weights, and he puts up 225 pounds. He's going to impress this uh, little girl from Crofton that he's fallen in love with, how, how strong um, her boyfriend is. And so he tells the story. He gets up, and he puts, you know, gets on the bench press, and he looks up at the weight. But he has her spot him, which means you know, he's sta- you know, she's standing here. And um, as he looks up, um, as if my mother, you don't know my mother, but my mother who is maybe 100 pounds, and probably at that point, probably 100 pounds if she was like soaking wet, um, having her spot him is just not going to help um, at all. And so he gets down and he looks up, and as he tells me, he's just infatuated by my, my mother's eyes, and he's just, and so he puts the thing, and he goes to, he goes to go, you know, to push pulls it down, goes to push. And what he realizes when he go, comes down is fine, but as he goes up, he realizes his hands are not centered on the bar. And not only are they not centered, but he's also forgotten a key aspect of bench pressing. He forgot the clips on the weights, which this is what that means. It means he starts going up, and all of a sudden, his right hand is going up faster than his left, with no end in sight, and as the right hand goes up, what starts sliding off? Weights start sliding off to the end, and they get off the end, and all of a sudden it goes from bam. So all just goes from wanting to impress 
his girlfriend too, being very embarrassed as he weights flip and the bar goes. Christian life can be very much like this, this walking from ditch to ditch if we're not careful. Okay. And so the ditches, I think, in, in, many, in, in my mind, when I think of the gospel and the way that we should live, there's really ditches on both ends. One, one ditch is a ditch of legalism and a ditch of, um, if you want to use the Baptist alliteration, we say licentiousness, but some of you may not know what that means, so just say ungodliness, license to do whatever you feel like doing. Um, so these are kind of the ditches we think on one side I don't want to do anything that God's not told me that God's told me not to do. So I'm going to like add rules that will prevent me from not only doing what God has told me not to do, but anything that would be near what God has told me to do. On the other side, it's God loves me, so I can do whatever, and He's just going to forgive me. No worries, right? So the the problem with this, and the reason I say this here, this is not necessarily. He doesn't say you know don't be legalistic and don't be licentious. What he, but what he does say is he says abounding in what thanksgiving. And listen, thanksgiving, you cannot be thankful if you are legalistic, and you cannot be thankful, not scripturally, if you live however you think is right and not considering what the Lord has said. You can't do it. Here's why. Legalism basically says, if we do this and this and this, God will do this and this and that. It's a transactional relationship with God. So it's, if I do this, then God will likewise do that. If I don't drink, God will bless me in this way. If I go to church every day, God will do this for me. It's this transactional relationship with God. And by nature, transactions, they're not, you're not thankful for a transaction. In fact, when God inevitably does not do that thing that you think he should do because you did that thing that you did then you'll quickly become bitter and angry. It will sap any thanksgiving. And when, when he does do that thing that you think he's, ob- he's, he's going to do, he, he's obligated to do that, right? Because you did that other thing. It'd be like if I, if I told my kids, if you clean your room, I will buy you ice cream. No matter how that transaction goes, my children will not necessarily be thanks, thankful for the ice cream they will either be angry that I didn't give them ice cream, even though they think they clean their room the way they should, or they'll be like, where's my ice cream, man? You told me. You told me I get ice cream if I clean my room. So you cleaned it, ice cream, give it to me. Okay? So it, it sucks our Thanksgiving right out if we think that God operates this way. If It's also, it is a breeding ground for both the bitterness and depression. Okay? If you want to get depressed, then think that when I do good things, God loves me. And when I do bad things, God doesn't love me. And see where that gets us. God loves us. You know why? Because he loves us. That's why he loves us. He loves us because he has set his affection on us. Not because we perform in a certain way. Not because we've done certain things that please him. He loves us because he loves us and has set his affection on us. It's a glorious truth. Without it, we are doomed. On the other side, we might be prone to say, 
Well, God loves us because he loves us, so what does it matter what I do? Right? It's the other side of that weight sliding off. The problem is ungodliness, it presumes on God's love, God's love in a way that God, God that betrays that we don't love him in those moments. So, so, so get it. Our presumption that God will, will love us, even if we don't do what he tells us to do, kind of betrays that we don't really love him the way we were meant to love him. When we love someone, we think, what can I do to please that person? It's not a transactional way that I do it because I know that if I do this, he will do that. It's a, I love this person, I want to do anything I can to please this person. This person, look what he's done for me. He died on the cross for me. He has set his affection on me. He's told me that I, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's told me these things, and man, all I want to do, all I want to do is love him back. All I want to do is what he's asked me to do. It's, it's a heart disposition. And so we, we should run from ungodliness, and we should run from trying to erect this, this kind of transactional relationship with God, and we should just keep walking the way that we got there. The eyes focus on Christ, loving him, doing what he's asked us to do, and just keep rolling, asking for help if we need it. Now, here, here's, I want to close it with this. How are you walking? Are you rooted? Your center of gravity low? Are you more like that sliding around toddler with Spider-Man boots where you don't have a footing? You've slid into one of these ditches? Where are you this morning? Maybe you walked in really hurting, really wronged by someone. Maybe you walked in just anxious. Tomorrow's Monday, and you've got like a stack of paperwork or tasks that check boxes that need to be checked off, and you're just not sure how that's all going to happen. Maybe you walked in just the, the weight of life is just, just bearing down on you. If that's the case, look to Christ. Look to him now. If you're not a believer, that may be your experience. We live in a fallen world with, with pressures and heat and difficulty. Look to the Lord. He said that, that his burden is light. He wants to comfort us in all our affliction. Run to him. There's nothing that he can't handle. His shoulders are broad. And so lay, cast your cares on Christ. Because we're we're going we're gonna to have a time... I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a time of singing. I just want you to take that time. You don't have to come to the altar if you don't want. Just, I want you to take that time. Where are you right now? And, and I ask you, wherever you are, move, move towards Christ as we sing. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. He has the shoulders broad enough to bear that, those things for you. If you're not a believer in Christ, just do the same. Trust in him. Repent from your sins. Recognize Christ and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for allowing for it to, to show us the truth that you love us more than we could ever hope. Pray as we sing, 
that you would enliven hearts, that you would take burdens away, that you would calm restless hearts, and that you would um, enliven depressed spirits. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for that love that you've shown us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand. Searches deep within my heart. The highest praise cannot proclaim how great you are. There is none like you, none like you. Help us to walk humbly with you, 
our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.